the reality is it's learning by doing, you know, you have to dive down a lot of rabbit holes and you have to experience a lot of things. I remember when I went to Barca the first time mm -hmm. in 2006, I took a, a region four ODP team over there, U14 and, um, good group of players all from the Western region state. We were in, we, part of the experience was we were able to go into La Masia and we got to actually play their U14 team. Mm -hmm. It's just a different level. The score was close, but the, the game wasn't close. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I still remember it, it, it was a profound impact in myself as a coach is I, they were allowed to go watch the training fields one of the days. And I was walking around and I saw the U15 team train and it blew my mind, blew my mind because I'd never seen anything like it. Well, hello everyone. And welcome to another episode of the 343 podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. The following is a conversation with longtime friend and colleague, Paul Holliker, a former professional player himself with playing experiences in MLS, pre-MLS, and in Europe, when Americans overseas was barely conceivable. After his playing days, he turned coach, first with the youth, then Division I college soccer, back when that was a very big deal, then with MLS academies, and now he's overseas plying his coaching craft. Our one-hour chat obviously doesn't do justice to the reservoir of experience Paul contains but I'm certain there are insights here that can add to the way you think about things. I hope you enjoy, but first, please allow a few moments to hear what sponsors this episode. We've got two products for you. One, specifically for coaches, found at 343coaching.com, and the other, specifically for parents of youth players, found at 343masterclass.com. For coaches, this is a coaching program that I know without hesitation, will greatly amplify your coaching capabilities and thus your teams, players, and yes, if you make or would like to make a living from coaching, your career in that as well. Why? How do I know these things? Because the creators of the program, namely us personally, 343, have been there and done that. From the lowest of levels to the very pinnacle of the youth level here in the United States. From the youngest of ages, all the way to graduating an unprecedented number of professionals. The work of my brother, Brian Kleiben, helped bring about a seismic shift to the American soccer landscape. What many thought was not possible with American youth was shown to be possible. And through a series of online modules and lessons, you get to watch and listen in as he trains his actual teams in the actual training environment. He's not following any script. He's not using other people's players or teams. No, no, no. You get to see the actual practitioner in action in the real live environment. Since the inception of the program, thousands of coaches have leveraged the methodology and have had great success within their own contexts. Not to mention cutting out the years of trial and error that so many of us coaches have to go through before learning some very hard lessons. So coach, get your butt over to 343coaching.com and get started. There are both free and premium programs for you available. Parents, for you guys, the program is at 343masterclass.com. We know it could be quite difficult, even frustrating, deciding how to best mentor and guide your kid through the American soccer landscape. Some might say hellscape. 
There are countless and never-ending questions preoccupying your mind. How good is my kid? Is he playing at the right club? Is he playing for the right coach? Is the grass greener if we were to make a change now? What should my kid be working on? At what age should X, Y, or Z be happening? Am I wasting our time and money? Why isn't my kid getting more playing time? Should my kid be playing up in age? Should I get a personal trainer? What exercise activities and drills can I have my kid do? Again, literally, countless and never-ending thoughts and questions. None of which, by the way, have definitive answers. Because unlike mathematics, the context and idiosyncrasies of your particular situation matter. So, how can parents best be helped then? The answer is education. Good education, proper education about football itself. The more correct and fundamental things you know, the better discernment you'll have, and thus the better guidance and mentorship you can provide your kid. There's a reason, guys, a reason why so many top players have parents who were former pros or played at a high level. It's because they get it. They, they know what it takes. They have experience. The 343 Masterclass is a program designed to accelerate the growth of your base level knowledge, important knowledge, the critical stuff, not the fluff, not the superficial stuff, the fundamentals, the things that matter, and it's practical. Not only are there fundamental activities and drills showcased for your kid to train with, but perhaps more important are the lessons meant to increase your level of footballing discernment. Because without that, the advice and guidance you're giving your kid may not exactly be the best. So, okay, go to 343masterclass.com, get on the email list, and we'll send you the details. All right, let's get into today's episode with Paul Holliker. Hey, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. New Zealand. Dude, I have been wanting to go to New Zealand ever since. Do you remember that TV show, Xena, the Warrior Princess? Um, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, this is back in the day when they made this Hercules TV show. And, and I know that they filmed in New Zealand and mm -hmm. just the beautiful landscapes, right? And the beautiful beaches, the black sand beaches. I'm like, one day, one day. And lo and behold, you're the first person I know that actually lives there. Well, you got to come visit now. For sure. It's worth it. It's definitely worth it. The first time I came here was with Cal Poly on a recruiting trip. Mm. I came out here 2012 and um, I went to Auckland, which is the North Island. And then I came down here to Christchurch, South Island, to a club called Asia Pacific. And I, I ended up recruiting a, a kid named, a young man named Kip Colby. But um, unbelievable, unbelievably beautiful country and great people. And um, I'm just I'm excited and blessed to be here. And Paul, like the work situation, because obviously I work with players and such that, you know, go overseas to play uh, their football. Yep. And, you know, obviously it's a learning curve and you learn a lot about immigration and getting the requisite visas and what goes into all that and the hurdles. How is it for you, obviously, in, in a different capacity? Or, yeah, and, and New Zealand specifically, because every country is a little bit different on immigration. Was it easy? Yeah. Um, it, you know, the, the process, um, of the visa took, you know, several months and you, you know, definitely the, the, uh, the employer, um, has a big part of that and, you know, immigration lawyers and all that stuff. So that took about two, three months to get that. And also for my, for my wife, who's now over here, but no, it was pretty smooth. 
but my first time working as a, as a coach in a different country, you know, I played and I played a little bit in Europe and, but this is the first time as a coach and this is what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to, to go and have this type of, uh, footballing experience and adventure. Um, can we start maybe there? The audience over here has a certain, well, it's a certain audience. And I think principally the highest percentage is from a development perspective yep. uh, when it comes to football. But one of the things that I try to do here is obviously go beyond football because almost like every subject, Paul, if you dig deep enough and you keep learning and learning and learning, you start seeing all these connections that are totally off the field sort of things, but they're, they're intertwined and the, a whole new world opens up to you, whether it be the world of economics, whether it be the world of politics, whether it be the world of culture, whether you name it, working in football is a microcosm of the macro and, and you see all the same sorts of things. Yep. So I guess maybe we can start with just a, your elevator pitch of who is Paul Hollicker a little bit for the uninitiated here. And you can go as long or as short as you want. I'm just kidding, but it'd be good because you've been a player for a long time and you've had, you've run the gamut basically after your playing career as well, college and then MLS Academy and then Academy director. And now you're going overseas. So the wealth of experience that you can bring is something that, you know, I highly respect you and Paul, and I think the audience can learn a lot from you. So anyways, let's start there. I jotted down just a few notes. I might interject here or there, but yeah, just give us, give us your story, man. Yeah. Um, all right. So my parents were both born in Europe father is a uh, Polish. My mother is French. They married in England. Uh, my brothers and sisters were born in England, um, except my older brother, two years older than me. We, my father came over um, from, our family came over from England and he took a job in Seattle. So he was a, he was an engineer. And so the family grew up in Seattle. So I was American, I grew up, grew up in Seattle, uh, grew up as an American, full-blooded American, uh, which I'm very proud of. And um, took to the game. Um, my father, I still remember the first time my, my father took me outside and he showed me where to put my plant foot on a pass. Uh, he was a kind, of a, kind of a teacher. He taught tennis a little bit and that kind of stuff. But he told me where to put my plant foot and I'm passing the ball with him, you know, four, five, six, seven years old. And um, went to my first game with the, the Kingfishers wearing my purple uniform and my reversible purple yellow uniform. And just fell in love with the game, you know, right from the start. So I was hooked and um, just played football. I uh, played soccer, you know, my, throughout my, my youth. Played a bunch of different sports, quite honestly. I played baseball. I played basketball. I loved all, I loved all sports. Um, but I was, I was really good at football, relatively speaking. Um, ended up being on a really nice youth team called the North Shore Spectre. Uh, went all the way to the Maguire Cup, which is kind of the final four in the youth back then, way back in the day. I'm 54 mm. years old and um, had a really, really nice like youth career. And I was uh, recruited by Santa Clara University, which was, um, I actually remember writing a handwritten letter back in those days. There's no, no email back then. I, I wrote a handwritten letter to Steve Sampson. And then I, um, you know, waited patiently and about a month and a half later, I got another handwritten letter back in the mail. And that's kind of how the recruiting stuff happened way back then in uh, 1987. But uh, yeah, I, I was, 
I was lucky enough to be recruited by, by Steve and Mitch Murray, who was the coach. Mitch actually drove up from Santa Clara University to Seattle and ended up uh, recruiting three players from my team. And we, we created a nice little pipeline from, from Washington State to California and just built a wonderful college team. We ended up winning a national championship. We were still the last undefeated Division One team to win a national championship. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and if I look back on, if I look back on those times, um, I see it, man, I, what an amazing environment that was. Uh, I, I can look back on like the ideas that they had as coaches, which we were in at a pretty, pretty incredible pressing team. If I look back at it, we did a lot of exercises where we worked on our defensive organization and, and pressing. So we pressed teams and we ended up having some very talented attacking players as well. You know, Paul Bravo, Jeff Beicher, um, a lot of different guys that, you know, when the ball came to them, also very, very good things could happen. So that was my my kind of college experience. Um, amazing, uh, amazing um, friendships and, and my brothers, my brothers at Santa Clara. And then I um, there was a professional team in the Bay Area called the San Francisco Blackhawks. It was in the old American Professional Soccer League. And um, yeah, I was drafted by the team. Um, so, you know, from 21, um, I started play professionally back then professionally was seven, eight months a year. And then in, in between we were coaching or doing clinics or, or whatever, but we were, we were a really good team. Like we, we back then in the old APSL, there was only six professional teams. Mm. So you can imagine that the top, top players in the United States, you know, were kind of getting onto these top six teams so the, the level was pretty good and we had some really good international players you know peter isaacs uh townsend kin from china peter isaacs was from jamaica um paul mariner who was you know uh, scored goals in the world cup was our assistant coach so we we're all these young guys right out of college um early 90s doing it and, and playing and our owner was actually quite ambitious he wanted to jump into the um a liga mx he wanted to jump into the mexican first division so we would be down in mexico quite often we we would you know we'd beat chivas we would beat these teams which was cool and they'd come up for international matches and we'd have twenty five thousand for a game against the mexican squad so that was kind of the early professional days and then when i was 23 i really wanted to go to europe so um when i was like 22 I asked the coach, you know, I want to go to Europe. I went to the south of France. Um, I, you know, went to some different clubs and I was offered, I was offered some contracts. It didn't work out in that first kind of window. But the following year, I went to Admira Vacker in Vienna and, and signed a contract um, for them, which was the Austrian first division. Winalda was over there playing for Saarbrücken. So it was, it was kind of the early days. So I was one of the first Americans to sign kind of a European first division contract and that was cool you know austria is it's the bundesliga's little brother so to speak yeah. but it's still a good level it's the first time i you know i've been to a stadium where it's just a proper football stadium and there's fifteen thousand seat stadium and the train comes across and the supporters get out and it was also the the first time i saw an academy for mm. a professional club that was mm. the first time i remember walking there and you know they were you know showing me around or whatnot and and they said and this is our u12s i was like you know are you 12 like our team's u12 yeah it's our our team's u12s and and then you know you start to see like 
what they were doing, and it was more than what the American kids are doing at that age. So you start to see that. And also the fact that, you know, there was a young, young kids from the academy in the first team. How cool is that? 18-year-olds jumping into that team. Um, and I was like 22, 23. So I actually roomed for a while with a young guy named Harold Cherney, who was from Austria. He played for Bayern Munich and came back to Admira. So that was an unbelievable experience for me to go play over there. And then I came back for um, Major League Soccer those first few years. And um, yeah, and I was drafted by what the San Jose Clash, which is now the San Jose Earthquakes. And um, had an, an amazing, I'm, I'm just really happy that I was part of the beginning of the league. You know, we had that first game um, and nobody knew kind of how big it was, you know, back then. It was nowhere near what it is now, but we had um, 20, 30,000 maybe in Spartan Stadium and it was broadcast around the world. And before, you know, six months earlier, you know, you're playing at a high school field. Yeah. So, so it was big. It was big for us. And just the whole professionalism of it was cool. So, yeah, I played a few years there. I actually tore my ACL in the sixth game of the year that first year against the LA Galaxy down there, right. I think in the, I think it was in the Rose Bowl. And I tore my ACL in the sixth game. And um, I actually, I think I still have maybe one of the quicker recoveries of ACLs because I played four and a half months later in the Rose Bowl in the playoffs. Um, so I was just kind of an animal as far as like getting the rehab down and all that stuff. But, um, and yeah, so that was kind of my career. I was a little bit on the tail end as far as age. I was 26, 27 at that time. So I ended up having, you know, a nice little six, seven year professional career. And then I got into coaching right after it and um, ended up plotting, plotting down in uh, beautiful Santa Cruz, California. Man, I, I love coaching. I love developing players. That's like my favorite thing in the world. Started off with a kind of a U10 girls team, coached a middle school team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I started doing things. And I remember actually, um, I think I pissed off the president of Santa Cruz County Youth Soccer. I told him in a newspaper article, I think something was how I said that the, the kids in Santa Cruz don't know how to play football yet or play soccer. But, um, I ended up starting... Uh, which was basically for ages four to 14. And it was an independent club. And basically we, we had tryouts for a training program. And so kids tried out and we actually marketed it quite well. And, you know, we had about 500 kids come out for, for an opportunity to be part of a training program. And then we just started to train kids in Santa Cruz um, from usually U9, U11, U13 in those ages. And my, my thought was, okay, what's the most kids we could fit on one field and really give them proper development? And it was 45 on one field. And so we divided the field up into three portions. One was focused on dribbling and technical dribbling. One was focused on passing and possession. And one was a short-sighted game. And so we'd have 15 kids in each of those circuits. And we would run a, just an amazing two-hour training session every Sunday. And at the end of the training session, we would give them a skill builder card and we would encourage them to go home and train on their own, go back to their club teams, come back next Sunday. So we, we got this program going in and, you know, pretty soon a bunch of parents are circling around the fields every weekend and you know, kids are getting better and just off to their teams. Um, and we did that for both boys and girls, U9, U11, U13. So we had little guys like Lyndon Gooch, who, who's 
playing, played in the Premier League and other little guys. And so we ended up, because we focused on those youth, those ages, Santa Cruz County became the number two ranked boys club in the country mm. in those ages a few years later. But it would have everything to do with those earlier ages and giving those kids a lot of, a lot of good stuff. So Catalyst was really my uh, formation as a coach because you have to, like anything, like any practitioner that you know, you have to put a lot of hours in. So I was really, really lucky that I got to work in the youth as a starting point because you have to teach. Yeah. And you, re and you realize what, how much it is that you don't know when you first get started. It's yeah. a disaster, right? It would, would you say, well, okay, it's a kind of a leading question here, but would you say it's a, just a completely different discipline altogether? You have your playing career and you view the game as a player. And then when you go into coaching, it's different. You're off the field. You have a completely different perspective on everything. And yes, while you bring the experience of playing to coaching, and that helps in a variety of ways. For one, some are obvious and some not so obvious, but yeah, you're still starting from zero kind of because you're going from student to teacher. And the analogy I like to draw is we've all been students in our life at one point or another, elementary school, junior high, high school. Some of us maybe went to college. And even though you've been a student for 10, 15 years, 20 years, it doesn't mean that you can teach and go and teach elementary school or teach junior high or teach high school or teach college. Completely different animal. Do you think that analogy holds in coaching football? Yes, I do. I do. But I think there's, there's, uh, well, try to give some examples. So when I first started to coach and develop, right, like you're starting from scratch, like you don't know any theory, you don't know any like methodology, you're just going. So I started to do what I felt was good and I'd see something and I'd try to solve it or whatever else. Um, and for instance, I would maybe teach technique, right? technical stuff. Hey, let's do this, this. So you get an idea of our, our Corver. Oh man, he's teaching all these different skills and it's fantastic. So I start to start to do that, but I don't really know the, the whole picture of it. So the whole picture of that's really, really valuable, but how do I add like context to this? Because I could get very, very frustrated if I just teach that and I don't do more as a coach, I don't learn more as a coach, right? How do I make that more functional? How do I make, put more context into that? And then, you know, you see a lot of coaches, oh, this guy did this or this, that was me probably in the earth. Yeah, yeah, why yeah. isn't he doing what we, why isn't he doing what we talked about? Well, you know, you're just a young coach um, or an inexperienced coach or, or, or there. So, you know, over time you start to, you start to improve, but you need those hours of, of practice and you need, you need, I think you need theoretical understanding as well like you have to understand theory and i think um i was lucky enough to um always be really like i really just love learning so I, I always did a lot of reading like one of the things i was really fascinated with was back in those early days of my coaching there was the the iax videos with um louis van gaal and these guys and i was like my goodness they're actually full on serious about developing footballers. Like mm -hmm. this is a, an art, a science they're putting time effort. This is not just random stuff. And I was like, man, that's cool. That's cool. I want to develop footballers. Yeah. So I, I think it was like literally my, my first year out of coaching 
took a team to um, to the Netherlands and and France for the the U16 group to meet with some KNVB coaches, and then we went to the Paris Cup, and then you just get exposed to the different levels out there, different levels, you know. And then was lucky enough to maybe go to to Brazil, and you see, oh my goodness, wow, what they're doing. So it's worth getting out there, you know. I think. And, and learning what's what's happening all around the world to improve but it's it is gen- so it's generally applicable that when you first start out you have no boundaries you have no rails you have no framework you have no methodology it's no for the most part generally speaking you're just well this is what was done to me when i was a player at whatever level um i i kind of remember that exercise why don't i go ahead and do that exercise and yep. see how things go. Um, and then in the modern era, obviously there's the internet, so people can Google stuff, but I think the same applies, right? Is they'll come across this exercise or that exercise and they'll try to copy it in their own environment and see what happens. Yep. And it probably varies for, for everybody, but you have, I think you kind of have to go through that at least a little bit in the beginning to experience the bad side of things. I don't know if that I, is properly I, communicated. But, and, and I don't know how long it takes. How long do you think it would, t- it, it takes somebody in it probably measured in years before from that point until you're like, okay, I've kind of converged on some sort of personal philosophy or some sort of methodology, whether it's hijacked from elsewhere, it's, it's your own of your own doing. Would you say yeah. it takes a year, three years, five, seven, t- 20? Depends, depends mm-hmm. on the time that you have and, and who your mentors are. And who, um, you know, the quality of the feedback that you're getting, because someone could say, I have this game model. I want to play like Pep and I have this and this and this, but unless you dug deep into it and experienced the multitude of different things that that encompasses, mm-hmm. you're only going to have maybe a surface level understanding of it, or, you know, it's just theory. The reality yeah. is, the reality is it's, it's learning by doing like I've, you know, you have to dive down a lot of rabbit holes and you have to experience a lot of things. I remember when I went to Barca the first time mm-hmm. in 2006, I took a, a region four ODP team over there, U14 and, um, good group of players all from the Western region state. We were in, we, part of the experience was we were able to go into La Masia and we got to actually play their U14 team. Mm-hmm. It's just a different level. The score was close, but the, the game wasn't close. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I still remember it, it, it was a profound impact in myself as a coach is I, they were allowed to go watch the training fields one of the days and I was walking around and I saw the U15 team train and it blew my mind, blew my mind because I'd never seen anything like it. Okay, so in when I grew up playing, we played possession games, keep away games. We kept the ball, and and literally, Gary, I could, I was allowed to go from here to run there to run there. I was all over the place. We were just trying to keep the ball. Yeah, right. And when I saw that game, and I again, I no one had ever spoken to me before about a positional game. So you're just right. And this is back in the old days, right? So older days. And, and I saw the game and I was like trying to figure it out. And I was like, the players are just opening, closing, opening so efficiently. The ball is rarely going out of bounds, right? There's 
triangles, there's networks, there's circuits everywhere. And I'm going, this is unbelievable. And I go, it was the first genuine positional game I'd ever seen. So then I, you know, you just scrambling and writing it down. And do you have mentors or not? Who knows? But I take it back and I start to try to do it. I saw something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. Try it. Right. And then it takes, you know, years and years and trains and trains and training and trainings to really understand it and teach it and coach it the right way. So it takes a little bit of time. I think, you know, everyone now has got a head start. But like the first time I heard about, I, I was always fascinated by positional play, as you know. Like, I mean, I was, I was fascinated with it in, in 1998, 99. I mean, you read a, a Van Gaal article and he's like, no, I want him to stay there, mm -hmm. right? Or I want Van de Sar to, to go, you know, he needs to play five yards higher. It's like you start scratching your head. He's talking about positional things. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Like no one ever taught me positional play as a player. No, no one ever taught me to play in between the lines. No one ever taught me to, to pin a defender or create a 2v1 there. So you're just, you're just, but now everyone has got a head start because positional play is, um, it's everywhere on the internet. It's everywhere there. So these young coaches have got a really, really good head start. But I think that there's even more. Yeah, for there's sure. Way, there's way more that uh, to learn and to go into. So the game is never-ending evolution. So yeah, no, it's it's good that you brought up how you experienced it many, many, many years ago. It was it was pickup soccer, Paul. And, and when I played so, it, and I never got to the professional level, but when I look back and reflect back, we just played pickup soccer. You had a coach, they picked a lineup, they picked a system. Yeah, maybe you did uh, some activities or drills, maybe that had a little bit of patterns in them, maybe. But for the yeah. most part, on the weekend, it's 11 v 11, and let's see what happens. There was no, oh, we identify the left back is the weak uh, outside back. You know, let's force the ball to him, and then that'll be the trigger for us to press. There was none of that stuff, dude. And, no. and I suspect, again, I repeat, I didn't play at the pro level, but I suspect that that, was also the case at the professional level here in the United States for many, 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 many years, unless you happen to be one of the lucky ones and, and fall under the tutelage of somebody who maybe was a little bit further along the, the learning process. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to nowadays, you said that the young coaches have kind of like a head start versus where it was, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. They still, I think you said this, they still have to put in the countless hours of working with a particular, let's just say an activity, let alone a whole methodology. That's a whole other ball of wax, but even just one basic activity, whether it be a 4v1 rondo, whether it be a 4v4 plus three, you know, which is already complicated as hell. Okay. Years and years and years of working with that one specific activity before multiple light bulbs start popping off in your head saying, wait a sec, I never realized this about this one activity. It may take you three years or five years to come up with that one profound insight that you never had. And you've been doing it for five years, every single day. I, I, it's one of my frustrations. I, I don't know if frustration is the right word, but you know, we had this program for a long time and coaches come and they learn and they implement. And it seems like a common pitfall that young coaches 
think they've got it mastered way too quick. Like, oh, I've been doing this for a year. I'm above this now, or the players are above this now. It's time to move on to more complicated or complex things. I personally think that's a mistake. And, and I think you nailed it when, when you said, you know, even to, to this day, I'm sure that you're learning more depths and more richness to even a particular activity. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you an example. Um, so positional play, go back to that. And we, we can talk about whatever topic you want, like technical sure. training. Yeah, no, no, no. Let, 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 yeah. Hmm. So let's just say positional play. Everyone is looking at positional play. Not everyone, but they see positional play as this way to kind of create an advantage through positioning, right? And so much of it is, is theory-based. You just do this or this. But if you look at really, you look really, really deeply at any field, like football field, right, where the players are there, there's dozens of, of individual positional um, improvements that can be made. So you can know all about the theory of, of pinning and this and that, and this is where we're going to create a numerical superiority. But if you take a deeper, deeper look, they haven't even taught this player that he's three yards too high. And he's three yards too high. There's no more numerical superiority. So there is no positional superiority. So there's a lot of stuff. That's what a lot of stuff I learned. I started to take the game from like the big, like collective concepts, right? Into like really individual positioning. And if you don't work with that individual constantly, then, you know, you can read all the articles you want. You can see all the videos that you want. Doesn't matter. So yeah. these are things that, you know, you learn. I think I learned over time, like, okay. I have an idea of how I want to play and this is what I'm going to have to do. And I'm going to have to talk to 11 players, not just on this level, you know, on this collective board, I have a tactical board and I show them all these the ideas, but then I'm going to have to now work with these individual players over the course of a year with, you know, a dozen little reminders, another little chat here, another little video there, another, right. And all of a sudden, you're improving that individual, that individual, that individual, that, and all of a sudden, all right, you have positional play. Yeah. It, it's not easy. No. It takes time. And, th and there's levels as well, because if you have a group of U12 boys or U14 boys yeah. or U19 boys or a set of pros, and also a function of how long you've been working with them uh, on certain aspects, it's hard to get to the point that you just described. Yes, because if you have a new coach and they inherit this U13 boys team that is an average team in the context of the nation, you know, one of the things I try to work on is try to deter them from going down the path that you just described. Yeah, where they're so they're so focused in on the micro of this one player being on this side of this blade of grass versus that side of that blade of grass. They, in my opinion, they won't maximize the development of the player or the group for that matter. If you're so hyper focused on those details at first, anyways, yep. I, you know, I always emphasize, try to ramp up the individual player and the collective to get to a certain level of competency first. And then you start going deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, yep. There's just so many, there's so much to talk about Paul, because there's so many pitfalls and one thing that I try to work on now and trying to help out coaches is, hey, these are pitfalls. 
yes, be aware of it. Go read a book on positional play. Go read a book on all these details, which is awesome. Just be a little cautious and cognizant of what your current environment happens to be before you try to implement Louis van Gaal's, you know, three, five, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like the levels, it has everything, right? The levels, like, so when you're coaching a U, that U13 team or that U12 team that you just got, you're not talking about like high levels, individual positional play initially. I mean, the main thing for them is, you know, can they create the space? Mm -hmm. Can Mm -hmm. they just create the space? Because you'll see the majority of like these youth teams and they'll play with, 20 yards of width on both sides. So lesson number one, let's, let's get big. Let's get bigger. All right. So you just got bigger. Well, let me refine how, how you position in the big, maybe it's, maybe it's there, there. Oh, you can position here because of that defender. Yeah. Right? And you're going to create that. So there's steps to it, but I think you can, um, you know, and that's all part of the part of just being teaching, teaching and developing. For sure. Let me, I took a couple of notes down as you were discussing. Let me see if I can touch on a few of them. How, how much time do you've got? Cause you know, we can go on forever. We could just have part two, part three later down months down the road. Yeah. I got about probably about 25 minutes. Okay. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time, of course. Um, so here, see, here's a couple of notes. Since you played at a high level, uh, before MLS at the infancy of MLS, recognizing that you saw it through different eyes through an early 20 something year old person who does not have the same brain you currently have. I'm curious as to your opinion regarding the level of the profession, American soccer professional player back then versus now. I mean, obviously I have my opinions, you know, how, what, how good was Eric Winalda, you know, in context during his zero versus today's U S men's national team player. So that's kind of what I'm looking for from you. Like, what was the level like? Have Has it vastly improved? Is it basically the same thing? Has it kind of deteriorated maybe a little bit? Because all three of those are possibilities. From when I was playing, um, again, like when I'm like 17 to maybe 22, I think we have a, a greater pool of players, of higher quality players. The pool is bigger. Um, I think, um, we have more players that, um, are, are coached and developed a little bit better than when I was growing up for sure. So I think we've evolved as a country for sure. Um, but there are still a lot of things that we can improve on, right? Um, you know, developing, you know, midfielders that can control the tempo of a match understand things like, you know, the rhythm of a game, the rhythm passes of a game or multiple passes between players, you know, stuff like that, which is like very, very high level. I don't, I still don't see enough of it or perhaps like center backs that can really control the game that know how to enter into a midfield under control, how to pick options, you know, how to control matches with rhythm. I don't see enough of in America. And I mean, there's, I think, you know, scanning has become a more prevalent topic now in America. So you see a lot more coaches talking about scanning, perception, decision, execution, all this stuff. You know, Barca, they were talking, the first question they asked the kid is, what did you see? What do you see? Right. That's the first question. And here, you know, we're just kind of getting a hold of that. And there's still, you know, probably many thousands and millions of kids that have never heard that question. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, yeah, because you mentioned the coaching got better. I think the kids have better infrastructure now as well. Uh, maybe perhaps better and broader competition uh, domestically speaking. Yeah. So you're kind of iron sharp, sharpens iron sort of situation. Uh, one thing that I usually bring up as a devil's advocate when everybody just, again, I want to be respectful here, when everybody just blindly says, oh, it's way better now than it was back then because of X, Y, or Z reasons. One thing that comes to mind is like, okay, we've gotten better. I agree. But the rest of the world has also improved their methodologies and their techniques and their refinements. And the Barca back when you first visited was probably learning, learned a whole bunch of stuff in the past 25 years, and they have been tweaking and refining and improving. And it doesn't have to be just nutrition or, or the science-based things, but methodology and philosophy as well. So even though yeah. we've made great improvements on the S-curve, they continue optimizing at the high end of the scale. So we may have gotten better, but doesn't necessarily translate to say the U.S. men's national team being, oh, well, now we're a contender. Or does it necessarily translate that an MLS team or, you know, is really so much better now than it was back in the day? If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, and, and if you were just to talk about like American players, American born players versus like an MLS team, because an MLS right. team, Correct. a lot of international players, right? If you're talking about a purely American born team, yeah, uh, that's a different question altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I was playing, you know, or when I was a coach or an academy director, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, and we played, we played in a team from Mexico, you know, 10 years ago, we would get beat. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, five years ago, we're beating them. Yeah. Right. Sure. So, so there's, there's definitely improvement. And I think we've outpaced some of the Mexican teams as far as like um, tactics and, and maybe overall development. But Europe, yeah. Europe, I think Europe is, you know, and, and probably South America and different things. There's, it, it's, it's such a high level. They're just so, I mean, it's the football is so ingrained. It's so daily. It's, it's, it's in the media proper, proper uh, analysis every day, high level coaching. We have had some good influences, I think, here. In, in certain respects, like I was, I was lucky enough to take that, that, uh, French football federation course. Right. And right. Yeah. That was profound for me. That, I mean, like there's, there's no coaching course here that has ever compared to that. Like that was proper education for me, you know, um, that's when I learned about methodology for the first time. And that was 2016, you know, I'd been coaching for 20 years. And just trying yeah. to just trying to just trying to get a certificate on a course and, and make somebody happy in this exercises. I, I you know, I got some proper methodology learning and understanding. And I think it's also improving there. I think there's proving I think, you know, we have to give ourselves our country credit in some respects that we are taking strides, but you know, still like like you're saying in in um, you know, you look at the Spanish women, you know, right. this World Cup. Right. And, and some of those European teams, I mean, they are controlling tempo. They have a clear game model, like where I, I didn't feel like we had a clear game model. So they're yeah. still ahead of us. You know, we can get there, but we need to keep improving. Got it. Um, I wrote down here, okay, college soccer. I'm sure some people are interested in your perspective on college soccer. 
I wrote down pre and post academy because Paul, before the the MLS Academy started yeah. in 2007, 2008-ish timeframe, the path to pro, as you well know, was through the college game. Play some youth, yeah. play division one college, do one in division one college. Hopefully you get a lot of exposure in the final four or in the tournament, and then you get drafted. And that was the whole pipeline set up. And, you know, now it's not like that. We could talk about a whole variety of aspects to that, but one aspect maybe you can focus on is the quality of the college player then maybe yeah. versus now and you know whether the current system of academies is better how much better than it was the pre-academy yeah well i think um you know i've kind of been out of that world a little bit the, the college world where i've seen the, i haven't i honestly haven't seen a, a lot of college games yeah in the yeah. last no, five you follow years mm -hmm. right either have in i the last five years I've been like, you know, I was with a, you know, a couple MLS academies and, and now I'm here in Christchurch. And so I've been focused on players really, you know, 12 through 17, mm -hmm. you know, has been my focus and up to U20. But, um, you know, the players that we had in those academies were very, very good players like, you know, Diego Luna, Cade Cowell. These guys are not, they're not going to college. Now these guys are, have the opportunity to go pro, which is where they should go. So now a lot of these colleges are looking overseas for a lot more kids. And I think it was Marshall that won the national championship a couple of years ago, and they had a plethora of just internationals on there. So they're getting kids from all over. So, you know, what does it mean? I, I, I don't exactly know, but, um, you know, I'm sure there's still a lot of, a lot of good players that are, that are playing college soccer and it's still going to be a bit of a pathway, but now you know, this, this element of these professional academies is really going to take that tier of kids and put them in a professional environment. Got it. I wrote down a quote here and I use it on occasion, you know, one man's trash is another man's gold. And I tend to view player selections and who makes it, who doesn't, who plays and who's on the bench or who makes the roster, who doesn't make the roster in many respects based on who happens to be making those decisions uh, on the technical staff at the moment, because one yeah. coach might like a certain type of attacking midfielder and the other likes a different type or has different ideas, right? Based on their, again, game model and methodology and philosophy and how they want to play. Maybe you can give us a little bit of your opinions regarding that, because it seems anyways here in the United States and our American fan base that the the feeling that there is such an absolute objective thing as the best players is persistent and oh well whoever makes it to the top whether the top be an mls team or a youth mls academy or uh, the national team or a youth national team the compulsion is always to think oh well then those are the best players yeah. when 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 in my opinion in fact not necessarily if in many cases. So I don't know, just your, maybe you can rant yeah. on that. No, I, that's so true. It's so true that, you know, everything based on a, a player is based on, um, the coach's perspective of what a good player is, you know, for instance, in a, in a one game model, you may want that player to run and break the line. The other game model, you may want them to hold a position in that certain situation, two very different things. And so if one can't break the line every time, he's not going to fit into your game model or whatever else. If he can't press this and do that, 
so you can uh, you can find really you know people have been talking about Busquets. You mentioned it before, right? How many how many coaches would have overlooked him in their game model, right? Yeah, so there's maybe a lot you want to yeah maybe you want to Nigel De Young as your six, a uh, destroyer or something. Exactly, right? So yeah, there's there's a ton of good players. I do think that um, some things are going to come to the forefront in the future, which is I think. Um, uh, positional intelligence is going to become more standard teaching. You know, it won't be something special or unique. You know, it'll it'll be something that is as important as technical training um, or physical training is. I think players are going to need to be more intelligent positionally in the future. They're going to have to they're going to have to understand game principles, understand the game a little bit better. Um, and those players are, and when you do that, your, your pool of higher level players is going to catapult. Question for you. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It's just opportune when you say positional intelligence and we need, okay. It's an attribute. It's a player skill. You have to acquire that skill. One misconception I come across regularly is that we'll just teach the 20 year old or the 22 year old, the 26 year old, um, what it is that you want. I mean, just get Tyler Adams and tell him, okay, this is what I want, or just get McKinney and, well, this is what I want you to do or whatever. And that somehow a player who has, again, in my opinion, been developed a certain way for 20 plus years, you can't just flip a switch and show him a, a, a chalkboard. And then he's, he's just going to come around in six months or in a year or two years. Or in my opinion, sometimes there are skills that once you reach a certain age, it's, it's not happening. You're not, it's not going to happen for you. I don't know if you see it differently, but I, I think if there's certain player attributes that are a player fits in a certain mold and to break out of the mold that they're currently in is a monumental task that in many cases just is not feasible. Let me ask you this though. Mm-hmm. Declan Rice. Yeah. just went to Arsenal and mm. just there's, there's a recent video of him saying about what he's learned from Arteta in a month. Yeah, no, for sure. But, right? but again, it's and, a theoretical thing, right? At the moment, yep. it's, can he implement it in practice? Yep. And I think he can, because I think he has that sort of malleability. Um, pick a player on the U S national team for me. Weston McKinney, my favorite. West, okay. Weston McKinney. If Arteta had McKinney, for a month, mm-hmm. could he better optimize McKenna's overall qualities, technical, physical mentality? I believe he could. He could definitely because he's got all these. He has all these other qualities. He has a technical quality. He has a physical quality. He definitely has a mentality quality. What he's lacking is perhaps a positional quality. He mm-hmm. hasn't optimized his qualities because he's missing the one element of that. And like positioning also is incredibly important because it also helps to optimize technical players. When Neymar first went to Barcelona, his, they said his Barcelona said his percentage of possession was too low. And he was keeping the ball like at 78, 82%. And they wanted it to be higher. And so they started to improve him positionally. And well, 
whether you know you enjoyed it or not, they ended up winning a lot of trophies and they're you know, great players, but they improved him through yeah. a positional idea. Now, I have no doubt you can improve a player. My line of thinking is more around when you say optimization, you can improve a player and optimize their particular potential in a skill set. But in my opinion, again, it'll, they're kind of like capped in a certain sense. Like, so if we take McKinney, for instance, goes yeah. and Arteta starts teaching him positional principles and how he wants him to play, blah, 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 blah. Will he get better? Yes. Can yeah. he become the super elite ideal in that particular thing? That's where I have a question. I think he'll get better, but asymptotically reach I, what his cap happens to be based I on your qualities. I think you're right. I think you're right in that, like, because he's starting at 24 or 20, whatever, however old. I mean, think about that when, you know, when he's learning that at 12, right? 13, you know, 15, he's had this education of going through. And then you're looking at a completely different Weston McKenna that can, you know, do different things. So what I'm saying is that it's a trait of a player. It's going to be a trait of a player. It's not going to go away. And I just think it's going to be more prevalent in the future that it's going to be, it's like, you know, you know, I'm good friends with Tom Beyer and I believe in like early age development, you know, um, when you're young, you are learning so, so, so much and you have head starts. And in America, you need more head starts. You need better development at the earlier ages. I yeah. think so many, a lot of clubs are just, uh, you know, clubs in the, in the United States would do themselves a big favor if they put uh, the meat of their developmental expertise at the younger ages. Got it. Got it. No, because you get them off to a head start, obviously, and, and you brought in the pool in that manner. Um, again, everybody's methodology kind of applies to a certain regime. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom's idea and methodology, which I agree with, get the little ones stepping on the ball, manipulating the ball, uh, so on and so forth. That way, when they get to U11 competitive club football, okay, we can start talking about positional things and we can start doing uh, more advanced stuff instead of having to not be able to do that because of their technical deficiencies at that moment. And then they're so far in debt, I call it technical debt, that they kind of never catch up to their their counterparts. Yeah. It's just, it's just one part of it, right? It's just, that's just a part of it. And, and then that's a part of it. And that's the part. It's not like positional play is everything. It's not, it's far from everything, right? It's a portion of it. It's a portion of development that can be improved, you know, with, with three, four, three methodologies, unbelievable. You know, these are all the, the, these are all the things that like our country needs to pay attention to. Because we are such a huge country, 300 million plus people, that if we let six, seven, eight years go by of this crunch time of development, we're not going to maximize, optimize our country. Got it. Last question, because I know we're hitting up that, on that time, Paul. The Latino community. You know, my parents are from Argentina. My extended yeah. family's from Argentina. Uh, we've worked with principally the Mexican-American uh, demographic here in Southern California, uh, not to the exclusion of others by any means, but that is like kind of like the meat and potatoes and, and a large population here. And yet it seems that isn't, those numbers aren't represent as represented at the higher levels in our country. You had mentioned Kate Cowell a, a moment ago. 
I think also Mexican American, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, and then tying it together with, you know, the little ones having to, we have to improve their base level of technical competency, et cetera, et cetera. We have a large demographic here that already is very good, huge numbers who is already very good. So yeah. by the time they get to U10, U11, U12, they have the same sort of technical competencies as the 10 or 11 year old in Argentina or in Colombia or in uh, France, yeah. et cetera. So while I agree 100% expanding the player pool is better and increases the probabilities of at the end of the pipeline, more and more come out. Is there something impeding or in the way of this already existing community that they don't make it? Goodness. What a great question. Is there, is there something there? Did the, did the question make sense too? Yeah. 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 Making it as, um, as a professional, let's just say yeah, MLS, because obviously it, yeah, because MLS is, has the biggest window in the platform. It's like, hey, how come most of our Mexican-Americans aren't like, that's the number one. Why is that not the, the number one demo? Yeah. I'm not suggesting the bad stuff, the discrimination, the race. I'm not suggesting any. Yeah, yeah. Sim simply, hey, what is it that's getting in the way here? Yeah. A lot of times when you're at that level, you know, at that, that high level, it's, you know, comes down to like coaches deciding on which players, right. And they have a, they have this huge pool of players that they can look at from all over. Right. It goes back to your original kind of your, your question or comment of like, how come some players make it and some don't, it really comes down to the coach. It's, it's what they perceive as to be a player that fits their model or whatever else it is. I mean, you see good examples of it. There is a physical element that is required at the high level in some respects, you know, like Kate Cowell is going to appeal to everybody. Sure. Super fast. Because Kate Cowell is super fast. Diego Luna is unbelievably technical mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and creative and wonderful. And I'm super glad that he's made it. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's these stories so I, where they're making it for different reasons. Uh, I mean, you know, Efren Alvarez is your, your, your boy, right? It's like, he's special. He's special, right? So he just needs to be in that environment with that coach that believes in him. And they need to be, keep finding it, um, keep finding the opportunities. If it's not working there, if you're getting you're getting you're not getting your opportunity there you need to go somewhere where you're going to be appreciated and nurtured and 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 someone's going to really take your qualities and, and and go with it because it's a you know it doesn't have to necessarily be here in america or in america yeah does the, the thing about does yeah. the i'm sorry does does the front office have influence in you know who makes it as well yeah, we can talk about the coach's preferences, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. you know, and it's kind of a loaded question because I have my own perspective and insight on these things. But it would seem that the people who are not on the field at the pro level have considerable uh, sway into who ends up making it, who doesn't. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
I'm I'm not too much in on those, like, you know, but like, you know, you're talking like technical directors and general managers and coaches, they all kind of converge on who they're going to, they're going to bring in and for whatever reasons, you know, and sometimes it's even more than that. Sometimes it's uh, upper management, right. And like, what's good for marketing, you know, right. or this, or that, who knows. But um, I think at the end of the day, probably the majority of them are who the coach and the, and the, the technical directors think are going to be the best players to help them win got it perfect paul listen dude i want to do a part two with you that's because we can dive deep into the the weeds or we can stay macro but there's so many things to discuss and i think you're one of the good good ones and i just think we need more like you and as i see as kind of part of my duty to expose whatever audience we happen to have to the good ones and how they think about the game and how they think about all the things related to the game. So I want to thank you, man, from the bottom of my heart. I think, you know, that, uh, like Brian, I am very sincere in intent, uh, and in desire. And, you know, I got to meet you. What was it? Maybe 15 years ago or so, something like that. Yeah. And even if it's from a distance, you know, I, I view you as a friend and yeah. a very well-respected colleague. So I hope we can do a part two at some point, whenever you're free a month from now, three months, whatever the case may be. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe we can dial in on a very specific thing that you might want to talk about. Gary, I, um, I, yeah, you're, you're a dear friend. I, and I, I just, from a distance, we've been, we've had a good relationship for many, many years. And I absolutely love everything that you, all your content. I mean, I, I listen to it. I read it. Uh, I endorse it. You know, it's like, it's super, super good stuff. And you're, you're one of the guys like even way, way back, you and Brian, way, way back. We're, we're just clued in on all the, all the good stuff that, that I really, I, I really appreciate. So thank you for your content, man. I'm here anytime. We can talk about so many different things. I know. Appreciate but it. hey, but the doors open in New Zealand. I can come and, and visit you. Dude, absolutely. Got an extra bedroom here, man. You come stay, hang out, go explore this beautiful country. All right, brother. I super appreciate you. Thank you again, man. And let's stay connected more frequently, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Ciao, Paul. Love you, man. See you, Gary. Good luck. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches. You can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.